As we mentioned earlier, we get the uh, privilege and joy um, to hear from uh, our friend Joe Longarino. Uh, many of you know Joe, either from um, his uh, service on the steering group or uh, preaching at Oak or um, uh, working in Oak Kids or his life around Durham. Uh, Joe um, left us, speaking of Ascension Sunday and important people leaving, uh, to, to go to Heidelberg, Germany uh, about two years ago on a, dot, on a really prestigious scholarship called the Dodd uh, Fellowship uh, to finish his PhD in New Testament studies, uh, which since he's done that, um, he's also um, uh, found <laughs> an amazing relationship uh, in his girlfriend and now fiance, Friedi, uh, who is from Germany, and she's on this call too, um, and uh, still lives in Heidelberg, Germany. So uh, again, all the things that uh, this format doesn't let us do, it lets us uh, connect and hear from our friend live from Heidelberg, where it's about 4 p.m. Um, so uh, I'm going to invite Stephanie to read our passage for today. Um, as we continue in our series on the Apostles' Creed, we believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. And she's going to read from Mark 8 before Joe takes it from there. Jesus and his disciples went into the villages near Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? They told him, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. He asked them, and what about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then Jesus began to teach his disciples, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and the legal experts and be killed. And then after three days, rise from the dead. He said this plainly, but Peter took hold of Jesus and scolding him began to correct him. Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, then sternly corrected Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking God's thoughts, but human thoughts. After calling the crowd together with his disciples, Jesus said to them, all who want to come after me must say no to themselves, take up their cross and follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them, but all who lose their lives because of me and because of the good news will save them. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Joe Longarino. As Chris mentioned, I was at Oak for a few years before I went to Heidelberg, uh, Germany. And um, uh, Friedi, can you just come here for a minute? If you have to be angry at somebody, be angry at her, not at me. She's the reason I'm here. So thank you. Um, yeah, and we have some of my friends from Germany joining us on this call and my family is joining this call. It is also my mother's birthday today. So happy birthday, mom. And um, my sister just sent a private message, I think, but to everybody that says, go Jojo, which is the name she has called me uh, since she was born. Um, and I would like to ask everybody, uh, before I start, if you could just make sure you have a pen or pencil and a piece of paper uh, accessible to you. I won't ask you to use it anytime except at the very end of the sermon. 
Um, you can also use your phone. That works equally well. But before I start, uh, let's pray. Lord Jesus, come and speak to us. Open our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us. And let us hear your voice. For it's your voice that gives us life. Amen. So I remember that when I was in high school, I was at a friend's house. We were both very ambitious types of students. He wanted to go to Harvard and I wanted to go to Yale. And we were talking about um, just how much we were gonna have to do to get into these schools. But my friend didn't stop there. He kept going. He said, okay, uh, well, we have to do all this stuff in high school to stick out in order to get into these great schools. Uh, but then once we get into these great schools, we have to do all this stuff to stick out in order to get into a high powered career. And then once we get into a high powered career, we have to do all this stuff to stick out so people will pay attention to us and remember us when we're gone. And whether my friend knew it or not, he was giving voice to a question that has haunted macho culture for a very long time. We can document this question going back at least a few thousand years. Ancient Greek and Roman dudes, they regularly discussed what they'd have to do to get people to remember them once they were gone. Maybe they could write a great literary work so people would read it, or maybe they would build a huge building that would stand through the centuries, or perhaps they could accomplish some great deed and they would be memorialized in writing or in a monument. And it was a quest for immortality through their work. It was a quest to keep their memory alive, even once they died. And yet this quest always seems sort of strange to me because it doesn't really deal with the reality that death is. It treats death as if it's the equivalent of the question of moving far away. Like, what do I have to do so these people still talk about me when I go someplace else? But this way of thinking is still dealing with death in terms of control. When in fact, death is the reality that reminds us that we're not in control. That no matter what we do, there comes a day when we don't have a say in what happens next. Yet as strange as this ancient macho way of thinking may be, it at least acknowledged the fact that we're gonna die in our culture today, we often don't even seem to get that far. Just think about the paths that are normally presented to us. When people plan their lives, they typically think about how they're gonna keep making more money. Or they plot how they're gonna keep advancing in their careers. But of course, there comes a day when no matter how much money you made, you can't make any more. And no matter how far you've gone in your career, you can't go any further. Yet we're not really encouraged to think about these facts. We're simply set on a path in continuous motion as if we could do these things forever. 
the system just doesn't encourage us to face the reality that we will die. And since we don't want to face that fact, we're more than happy to play along. We throw ourselves into our work without acknowledging the fact that we're human. And yet Jesus comes to us in our frantic activity to challenge that illusion, to break it. In the midst of our frenzied motion, Jesus says, those who seek to save their lives, to preserve their lives, will lose them. It's a fool's errand to think that we can secure a future for ourselves indefinitely. And those who try to do so ultimately come up empty. Now, Jesus's instructions hardly ever make sense in this world. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't be anxious about what you'll eat or wear. Sell your possessions and give everything you have to the poor. Love your enemies, turn the other cheek. Whoever asks you for your shirt, give them also your coat. Whoever asks you to go one mile with them, go two miles with them. When you throw a party, don't invite the rich who can pay you back, but the poor who can't. Spend your time building community with people who won't help you get ahead at all, with prisoners, with the homeless, with the strangers in your country, with those who the powerful ignore, the weak, the despised, the forgotten. All of this seems to add up to a massive waste of time and resources. If that is, your goal is to preserve your life, to advance in this world, and to make sure that your future is secure. But as nonsensical as all those instructions may have sounded, Jesus's words today really take the cake. Come, take up your cross and follow me. It's as if Jesus is finally confirming what we feared was the case all along. That all those other instructions were really calling us to die to ourselves, to tear ourselves away from the security that would seem to provide some sort of assurance in this life, to fall into the hands of God and to yield our control to him. And like Peter, we wanna jump in and say, no, Lord, that cannot be the way. Like the disciples, we prefer to ignore the fact that Jesus keeps telling us that if we follow him, we're going to have to face suffering, to deny ourselves, to become servants to everyone, to become like little children, small, ignored, and insignificant in this world. We prefer to keep focused on how to be great, the greatest, to be greater than everybody else, because even if deep down we know that's pretty stupid, it's at least a lot easier than having to deal with the reality. I mean, to subordinate all my plans to God's plans, to acknowledge that all my ambitions, or at least a lot of my ambitions may be empty and meaningless, to learn to part with comforts that I can't imagine parting ways with. I mean, does Jesus realize what he's asking us to do? Does he recognize how hard it is? Does he know how scary all this is? And the answer is yes, he does. 
You see, Jesus isn't just a teacher who tells us what to do. He walks this path before us and with us. The cross we're called to carry is his cross and he knows its weight. Right before he was arrested, he prayed, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. He knows what it's like to be in your shoes and in my shoes. He knows what it's like to fear the weight he's calling us to carry. He knows what it's like to prefer to avoid all of this. And yet, unlike most of us, he doesn't run away. Instead, he goes on to pray, not my will, but thy will be done. It's not like he didn't run away because he was less afraid of the pain than you or I would be. Rather, he stayed because he so trusted the one he called Father that he was willing to put himself completely in his hands. And now when Jesus tells us those who lose their lives for my sake will save them, it's as if he's saying, you can trust the Father too. You can walk with me and put yourself in his hands and trust that he will catch you. No wonder Jesus says that we can receive the kingdom of God only if we become like little children. We have to stop trusting in ourselves, in our so-called common sense, in all the patterns of self-preservation we've adopted, and simply put our hands into the hands of our Heavenly Father and trust that even when the way is scary, our Father is good and he's leading us into life a life that's better than any life we could shape for ourselves. A life where we may not have security, but we will have love. Of course, believing and living this is a lot easier said than done. If the disciples teach us anything, it's that we often suppose we have learned a lot more than we really have. After the third time, not the first or the second, but the third time, Jesus explains that his path is leading to suffering and death. James and John ask Jesus for the place, places of greatness at his left and right hand. And Jesus tells them, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink? And they confidently answer, we can. Only to prove that later they can't. Or at the Last Supper, when Jesus speaks of the suffering he's about to go through, he tells the disciples that they'll all fall away. But when he hears this, Peter says, No, Lord, even if all fall away, that's not going to happen with me. And when Jesus says, No, Peter, you're going to deny me three times, Peter responds with twice the confidence, No, even if I have to die with you, I won't deny you. And all the other disciples say the same. And of course, we know the story. They all fail. They crack under the pressure. When the rubber hits the road, 
they can't take up the cross and follow Jesus. Instead, they do the exact opposite. They flee, running as far away from the cross as possible. And yet in the midst of their failure, it's easy to miss a very important part of the story. Jesus predicted their failure. He knew they would fall, but he still promised that after it was all over, he would meet them in Galilee. Despite their failure, he doesn't abandon them. They may have left him, but he doesn't leave them. Even when they gave up hope, Jesus doesn't give up on them. In essence, Jesus is saying to his disciples, yes, you failed. Yes, you didn't understand. Yes, you didn't have faith, but I'm bigger than your failure and I'm determined that you'll be my disciple. Yes, when the going got rough, you couldn't take up your cross and follow me, but this is a lesson I'm determined to teach you. There will always be more opportunities to learn to take up your cross and follow me. So don't get hung up on your past failures and don't worry about whether you have the strength because when you're in those situations, it won't be you, but the Holy Spirit working in you to help you learn what it means to follow me. In one way, wouldn't it be easier to be left alone, to let despair have the last word? Because at least in that case, I could just give up trying instead of having to learn to deny myself and be faithful to my Lord. It's almost like having a job where you have an annual review and no matter how badly you performed in the previous year, you just can't get fired. It's like even if you tried to get fired, you couldn't because your boss is so dedicated to your personal development. Because part of what it means to say, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only son, our Lord, is not only that in the trials and troubles of this life, I have to learn to be faithful to him, but it also means, more importantly, that he is faithful to me, always and no matter what. Despite my sin and failure, he doesn't leave me because he's devoted to me. And so the invitation this week is to open ourselves to Jesus's devotion to us, to let him teach us what it means to take up our cross and follow him. I can't tell you what that will concretely look like for you. Indeed, we can't tell ourselves what that will look like for us because only Jesus knows where he's leading us. Part of what it means to receive the kingdom like a child is not to think we know where we're going, but rather to put our hands in Jesus's hand and to let him guide us on the path. In the Gospels, the disciples are at their worst when they assume they know what it means to follow Jesus. Faith and certainty in this sense don't go together. Faith is rather to recognize that we don't know where we're going or how we're gonna get there. 
but we trust the one who's leading us. And so like the disciples, when they say, Lord, teach us to pray because we don't even know where to start. I invite us to say, Lord, teach us to follow because we don't know where to start. As a concrete step for this week, I invite you to pick up that pen and paper and write down briefly some big things going on in your life right now. Two or three should be enough and you can fill it out more later. There can be concrete tasks, plans, hopes, dreams, or challenges. And then at the top, above them all, write this prayer. Lord, teach us to follow because we don't know where to start. I'll read that again. Lord, teach us to follow because we don't know where to start. You can hang this anywhere in your house and just keep praying this prayer for the next week. So take just a little bit of time to do that. And in a few moments after that, I'll pray. I invite you to pray with me. Lord Jesus, to follow you is life. But that doesn't mean that we don't have to face so many different kinds of death. But we know that in the midst of that, you are with us. You never leave us. And you're determined to bring us into life. So we offer our lives to you and say, have your way. And lead us. For we trust that you are good. Amen.